please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We preach through books of the Bible, by and large, here at this church, just going verse by verse, and so we finished Matthew 13 last week, and so we begin with with Matthew 14 this morning, Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. There's a pew Bible that you can use, a little red pew Bible that you can pull out and open up, and again, if if you're a Christian here, uh, uh, I would encourage you to have your own Bible, to bring your own Bible to church, to have it open when I speak, mark it up, underline it, read it, make it worn and torn so we know that you're reborn. If you, it's not, it's not mine, Sister Tanya, I ripped that off somebody else. It's actually in a, a rap song. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a free Bible. And so if you don't have a personal Bible that you can bring with you every Sunday to open up and read, we would love to give you one free of charge. Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, He feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Father, if we think about that very long, it could turn our stomachs. Thinking about a man's head being severed from his body and put on a a food platter and brought to a banquet. Such evil such rebellion, such tragedy for such a young man in his prime to be cut off. The greatest man born of woman to be murdered like that unjustly. Father, what would you have us learn from this? We pray, oh God, you would be with us this morning, that you would help us rightly think and preach and listen and hear, Father, that you by your Spirit would rightly apply this text to our hearts and lives. We 
ask God that you would humble us, that you would, you would sustain us and strengthen us through the word, that you would encourage us. Lord, even as many on this day, day think about tragic death, we, we hear of, of a tragic death. Lord, we thank you that we know the one who conquered death. We thank you that on this day we celebrate the one who rose up from the dead. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we beg you to let us hear from you and, and be encouraged. Lord, be, be convicted, be changed, be moved to obedience. God, be moved to greater trust in you, greater love for you. And so please, God, help us and be with us and let us hear from you for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you noticed this morning that our text for today begins and ends with Jesus. It begins with reports about all that Jesus was doing, these reports making it all the way to the ruler of Galilee, King Herod. And it ends with John the Baptist's disciples going to Jesus to tell him about the loss of their leader who had been beheaded. It's always good to begin and end with Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. It's always good to begin and end with Jesus. It's always good to go to Jesus with your pain and, and distress and sorrow and loss, even as these disciples do when they lost their beloved leader, John. And our text points us today to what Jesus will face, almost like a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ himself would face someday for the sins of the world. And yet, praise God, we know the end of the story that he not only died, but he rose from the dead, that he's alive. That's one of the things that uh, separates him from everyone else. As Shailen has said, Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, but Jesus is alive. And this martyrdom also points to what will happen to almost all of Jesus' disciples. Contrary to the false gospel of the, many of the men that, that Brother Anthony mentioned that teaches us we should have our best life now and just have health and wealth and happiness in this life, all but one of Jesus' disciples were killed in a very similar way to John the Baptist. They, they would give their lives because of their faithfulness to Christ. So what would God have us learn from this today? Well, let's look at these verses together. Point number one, Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist raised up from the dead. Look at verses one and two again. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So here in the beginning of chapter 14, we're introduced to Herod the Tetrarch. 
there are four rulers who bear the name Herod in the New Testament. The Herod in our text this morning was Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great. You remember him. He was the Herod that ruled when Jesus was born and had all the little babies, two years old or younger, slaughtered in Bethlehem. That was Herod the Great. This Herod in our text today is his son, one of his sons, Herod Antipas. This son of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, was what's called a tetrarch. Tetrarch means a ruler of a fourth part of a kingdom. But in this context, it basically means a prince or lesser governor than a king. James Boyce writes, it had come to mean only a lesser prince or governor. So when his father, Herod the Great, died, his kingdom was divided into smaller portions, and Herod Antipas was given rule over the area of Galilee and Perea. And so he's this ruler or tetrarch of this smaller portion of, of uh, area. And Herod had heard about Jesus Christ. We see in our text that he'd heard about the fame of Jesus. Since Jesus spoke like no one ever spoke, and, and since Jesus did mighty works like no one had ever done mighty works uh, before, uh, Jesus became well known so much so that this, this ruler, this leader had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Herod believed that Jesus Christ was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Remember, John the Baptist did not perform signs or miracles. I mean, you can remember that when you hear these false preachers on TV say, if they're really genuine, they're going to perform miracles to confirm what they're saying is true. Have you ever heard that? That's a lie. John the Baptist, greatest man born of women who is the forerunner of the greatest man who ever walked the horizon of this world, did no signs or miracles. The Bible never says Jesus spoke in tongues. People who focus on tongues so much, that is the grand mark of being spiritual. Jesus Christ, the man who had the Spirit without measure, the Bible never records Him speaking in tongues once. I'll go with Jesus. I'll go with Jesus. It's always good to go with Jesus. I always say I'm more impressed with the spirituality of people, not in, in their speaking in tongues, but if people spit in their face and curse them out, and they say with tears in their eyes, God bless you, God save you, I love you. That's impressive. Those people are filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> people who live like that, who bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, not falling and flopping on a fish on the floor. John did no miracles. John did no signs. And so when Herod hears <laughs> about Jesus, he, 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 he deduces, he concludes, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. 
John 10, 41 said, John did no sign. John did no sign. Jesus comes doing signs and wonders. Yes, to confirm the word of God. And Herod says, John must have come back. John is back and now he's doing miracles. Why might John, why might Herod conclude this? Why might Herod conclude that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead? Charles Quarles writes, unrepentant sinners are often haunted by a guilty conscience. Unrepentant sinners are often haunted by a guilty conscience. Why did John, why did Herod have John in his mind? Why did Herod have John in his mind? Because he's guilty. And John pointed out his guilt. And he concludes, this Jesus must be John come back to again remind me with signs and wonders that I am a sinner. Point two, Herod put John in prison because John preached biblical purity personally to Herod. Herod put John the Baptist in prison because John preached biblical purity personally to Herod. Look at verses 3 through 4. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Look at all the ways Herod and Herodias sinned. And, 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 and John is in prison because he called them out about their sin. <laughs> Don't let anyone ever tell you it's wrong to point out people's sin. Well, you're not the Holy Spirit. Don't try to take the place of the Holy Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit do his job. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit has spoken in his word and has told us it's loving and right to help other people see their sin when they're caught in it. So yes, believe in, and obey the Holy Spirit. <laughs> John loved Herod enough and was bold enough and feared God enough and not man to call Herod out about his sin and Herodias out about their sin. Look at all the ways that Herod and Herodias had sinned. Number one, Herod sinned by unjustly divorcing his first wife. Herod and Herodias were married to different people. And then they met each other and got to know each other and fell in love and divorced their spouses and married each other. And God says he hates that. Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Matthew 19.4-6, Jesus answered the Pharisees, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is what God says about marriage. 
This is what God says about divorce. One author said when Jesus taught about marriage, his disciples respond, nobody should ever do that. <laughs> nobody should ever get married if that's the case. And some people need to hear that and not get married. Because if you get married and then divorce, you're bringing yourself in, in, under, in, under spiritual condemnation. <laughs> it would be better if you didn't. If you ain't serious about this and know what you're doing and plan come anything or high water, we gonna stay married. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus says to do. Herod and Herodias did not do that. They divorced. They broke God's laws and commands. Not only that, but they sinned by incestually marrying. This was an incest marriage. Herod sinned by incestuously marrying his half-brother's wife. Did you notice in the text? Uh, uh, it, 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 John the Baptist has said, it is not lawful for you to have her. Um, because uh, verse 3 Herod had married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So not only was it wrong to divorce and marry, he, he married his half-brother's wife. And Leviticus 18.16 says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. And John was calling this out. And thirdly, Herod also sinned by shutting up God's prophet and putting John the Baptist in prison. This was an unjust imprisonment. Herod did not respond to John's correction well. <laughs> he was mad. He refused to listen. He refused to repent. And he was so mad that he imprisoned John. And, and he was influenced by his wife to do this. He wanted John dead because John called out his sin. Just sort of a side note here, beloved, how do you respond to biblical correction? How do you respond to biblical correction? How do you respond even to sermons that say something that you don't like because you've done it? Do you get mad at the preacher? I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the mail. I'm just telling you what God says. How do you respond when a brother or sister in the church comes to you and, and says, the, the Bible says this, you're, you're doing this. How, how does that jive with what the Bible says? Do, do you receive that with humility? And submit yourself to God and, and, and seek to obey the, the Scripture? Or do you get mad like Herod and if you could, put some people in prison? Herod did not respond well. Herod was angry, mad, murderously angry, put John in prison. Beloved, notice John died because he proclaimed the truth. John died, John the Baptist died because he proclaimed the truth. In love, in love, he proclaimed the truth. I mean, he, 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 he spoke to this leader who, who he knew could put him to death. 
and called him out on his personal immorality. If we love people, we will speak to them about their sin in love. In love. We, we, if we love people, we will speak to them about their sin in love. We, we won't just sweep it under the rug. The, the Bible says open rebuke is better than silent love. Sometimes because like Herod, we fear man. We fear how they'll respond. We fear they won't like us anymore. They fear, we fear they won't be our friend. We just, I love them, I'll pray for them. I'll just pray. Beloved, sometimes God wants you to put a little legs on those prayers. So sometimes you pray about stuff and God's like saying, get up off your knees and go do something. Isn't that a thought? Your, your, your mere praying could be disobedience. God has spoken about things that you don't need to pray about about what to do. God has spoken. Yes, pray. Yes, pray. Pray and obey. <laughs> pray and obey. Pray and obey. And God has told us if we love people, like John loved Herod, he's going to go and tell them and point out their sin in love and speak to them about their sin. There was some bad advice given one time. This is bad advice. Don't, don't amen this. Just come, come with me here. This is not an amen moment. Bad advice. This is bad advice. Don't needlessly introduce obstacles to the gospel. Don't talk about homosexuality or abortion or sleeping or living together before you're married. Just talk about the gospel of Jesus. Don't turn people off. That's bad advice. Uh, again, I'm going to go with Jesus. <laughs> I want to do it like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. I want to love people like Jesus. Does anybody here think you love people better than Jesus? The woman at the well, for example. John 4, 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. You think Jesus didn't know what he was saying? Oh, I'll just bring up her husband now. He knew exactly what he was doing. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is going to get an email on that one. How dare you? How dare you bring this up? Jesus don't care about how people's emails and how dare yous. Jesus is going to love with true love, caring love, penetrating love. He's going to say it like it is in love and call out sin in love because he's the greatest lover who's ever lived, who shows us how to love. Calling out sin is loving and righteous and biblical and Jesus-like. And it's actually necessary for love. If you don't do it, you're being hateful. You're being hateful. 
to let people die and go to hell in their sin instead of pointing it out in love and humility. Maybe, what about the rich young ruler? Jesus had an encounter with this young man in Mark 10, 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I mean, Jesus really hit this guy hard with the truth as well. Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. That's where he starts. And then he lists the commandments. Oh, you want eternal life? Well, do this and this and obey God's commands. And the man says, I've done it all. I've done all that. Very naively says that. And so Jesus knew his heart that he was a lover of, of money, not God. Therefore, he couldn't have done all those commandments in a way that pleases God. And so Jesus says, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And the man wouldn't do it. He walked away. Jesus pinpointed this man's sin, highlighted this man's sin, zeroed in on this man's sin because Jesus is the greatest lover who's ever lived. And that's what loving people do in love and humility. Help people see their sin that they might repent and believe the gospel. Friend, are you here this morning as a sinner? Are you here online or in, in the building and you are a sinner? You've, you've broken God's commandments. Well, we have good news for you. <laughs> Do you realize that you've broken God's commands just, just like this woman at the well? That you've broken God's commands concerning sexual purity? Just like the rich young ruler, you, you have loved money and stuff and things more than God. Do you realize that in these ways and in manifold other ways, you have sinned and broken God's laws and commandments? The Bible makes it very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us, not one of us here, have lived up to God's perfect, holy, righteous standard. And because of that, we all deserve God's just condemnation in hell forever. But God loves sinners. Th this is what we celebrate today. This is why this is so exciting and, and happy and joyous is because God loves sinners. He, he, he loves sinners so much that he sent his son into the world, Jesus, that we're reading about now and seeing how he interacted with people, seeing how he loved people, seeing how he spoke and, and did miracles and raised the dead and made lepers cleansed and made the blind see and made deaf people hear and, and, and cast out demons. He lived and loved and served like no man ever lived and loved and served. And then he died on a Roman cross where he took the penalty that we deserve. He took the hell that you and I deserve. He took the everlasting curse and condemnation that we deserve. He took that upon himself on that cross and died and suffered and was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that if you, if I, if anyone repents, turns from sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. You shall be forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, even if you've been wicked, as wicked as Herod himself, and had people put to death unjustly, if you repent and believe the gospel, God will save you and forgive you. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It's freely given. 
For by grace, grace is a free gift. You've been saved through faith. And this is not of works, lest any man should boast. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've not trusted Jesus, would you believe him today? Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and have all your sins washed away? Have all your sins, past, present, and future, totally forgiven and cast behind God's back forever. Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Please do that. Please find me afterwards. Find another Christian afterwards and talk to them about your soul. John died because he proclaimed the truth, because he loved people, and he did it the same way Jesus did it. And he died for that reason. It's a good thing to tell people the truth about their sin. It's a hateful thing to remain silent. Third point, Herod made decisions based on the fear of man. Herod made decisions based on the fear of man. Look at verse 5 of chapter 14. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Herod hated John's condemnation of him and his behavior so much that he wanted to murder John. You notice that? And though he wanted to put him to death, well, why didn't he? Because he feared the people. He feared the people. He feared man. He, he was controlled by his own sinful passions and he was controlled by the fear of man. I mean, in this case, it was a good thing. It kept him from doing further sin. But, but notice how Herod is, is, is just controlled by the fear of, of what people think. Fear of man. Being more concerned about what people think than about what God thinks. Always making decisions based on, will this person like me? What will they say about me? How will they think? How will they respond? W will they still be my friend? Will they still talk to me? I'm so worried about these people. And people are really big, like God big, and God is so small. And so we make decisions worried about what everybody's going to think and say. Worried about what kind of response we'll get if we do this if we do that and we see that in Herod's life he, he was controlled by the fear of man Herod's actions are so much in contrast to John's actions John feared God and God alone God, uh, John lived for an audience of one right he feared God so much that he spoke the truth to this ruler, Herod, even though he knew Herod had the power to kill him. And John kept saying this. The text seems to indicate this. This is not like John did this once, but he kept saying to, to, to Herod, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. What a bold lion John was. That he spoke to power that way. That he knew had the, the power to kill him. But he kept speaking God's truth. John knew the truth of Matthew 10, 28, which we've already studied. Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This guy can, can prick me with a little pen. This guy can set me on fire and make me burn forever. Hmm. Wonder who I should listen to more. <laughs> Do not fear those who can kill the body. They can chop your head off. But they can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. John Bloom wrote a helpful article on the fear of man and how to deal with it. And he, he said we should deal with it in three ways. Number one, we should confess your fear of man. In other words, as we, as we read a text like this, we, 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 we want to we pray more and more, Lord, Lord, I see ways in my life that I'm sort of like Herod. I, I base my decisions based on what other people think, how they'll react, how they'll respond. I, I maybe should say something here and I don't because I fear what they'll, how they'll act. And, and we want to pray, God, help me more and more fear you and you alone and not fear man. And so John Bloom writes, confess your fear of man. And if you don't think you have fear of man, you do. We all do. We all wrestle with this. We all wrestle with this. Confess your fear of man. As soon as you recognize fear of man, confess it as sin to God and repent. If possible, confess it to faithful friends who will help you fight it. Maybe there's a hard phone call you need to have with a friend or a family member. Maybe there's something you need to do that, that you've been holding off doing because you don't want to rock the boat. And, and you need to you know, have a conversation with the Lord. Lord, is this because I fear man? Am I not doing what I, what I think and know I ought to do, what you're prodding me to do, what your word says I ought to do because I fear man? Lord, show me that and, and, and help, me, help me be free from the fear of man. Number two, question your fear of man. What exactly are you afraid of and why? Do you really have a good reason to fear, especially in light of Matthew 10, 28? Articulating your fear often exposes it as the pathetic thing that it is. Three, courageously confront your fear of man. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Con courageously confront your fear of man. When I was in college, there was uh, many requirements to graduate, but one requirement was you, have to, you had to jump off this 10-meter platform uh, diving board thing that they use in Olympic, you know, to dive, do diving. I hate heights. I don't mind them in an airplane. I I'm fine in an airplane. I feel at home in an airplane, but I don't like heights. And so uh, you, had to, you had to jump off this thing. I went to a military school, and it was sort of like a simulation of jumping off of a, of a ship uh, if you had to abandon ship kind of thing. And you had to do this to graduate. And there were guys that would go up to the top of this thing, and they would, like, they would, they would run out and then stop, and then they would, just, they would stand up there and wait and just try to gather the, enough courage to jump off that thing. Like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do this. I hate doing this, but I am not going to go up there and wait and just do it. I'm just going to do it. Sometimes you just got to do stuff. And that's actually helped me in life. 
Some, you, you hate it. You don't want to do it. You wish you didn't have to. But sometimes you just got to do it. And, and we, we have a God who will be with us in things that are hard to do. Who will be with us and help us. And, and, and we can trust Him. Sometimes I gather so much help by just reading Isaiah 40. I mean, there are things I've had to do even as a pastor where I have to confront people on certain things. I hate confrontation. If I'd have known what you would have to do as a pastor when I was in seminary about confronting people, about they're not living according to God's word, I might not have become a pastor. <laughs> and, and I'm just exposing myself as one who fears man, but I, I, I'll get out Isaiah 40 and just try to fill my soul with the bigness of God, the greatness of God. The, the, the nations are nothing, a drop in a bucket less than nothing like grasshoppers. Joseph, you've got to see God for who he is and you need to do this. Be a man and do it. Trusting in God. Contra co courageously confront your fear of man. We must obey God rather than men. Obedience calls for courage. Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but the resolve to obey despite what we feel. Exercise your trust in God by stepping out in obedience. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6 Trusting God is safe. Fearing man is not safe. God usually teaches us through the hard lesson of obeying in spite of feeling afraid. For then we learn to trust God's promises more than our uh, perceptions and reach the place where we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Beloved, all that to say, we see in, in, in Herod, we see in Herod a, 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 a slavery to the fear of man, and we see in John a freedom because he fears God, to be bold as a lion. And we want to pray in our lives, Lord, make me less and less like Herod and make me more and more like John. Ultimately, make me like Jesus. Point four, the outrageous way that John died. The outrageous way that John died. Look at verses six through 12 again. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oaths and his guests. He commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. What a horrible scene we have here. Herodias' young daughter danced and pleased Herod, so he promised her whatever she asked. And commentators and preachers say all kinds of things about what kind of dance this might have been and, and how old she would have been and how drunk the men must have been and how egregious this situation was. And that all may be true. But the bottom line is you have this young woman dancing before these men and and, and Herod was having a party for his birthday. She comes and, and, and dances. This is Herodias' daughter, so Herod's wife's daughter, his own stepdaughter. She danced for everyone, and, and apparently it was very pleasing to Herod. That's what the text says. Not apparently, Joseph. He, she was very pleasing to Herod. So Herod made a foolish oath 
to give her whatever she wanted. And so what does a young girl do? She goes and asks mom. Mom, what should I ask for? And this gives Herodias her chance to force her husband's hand to give her what she wants, but that he's been too timid and scared to do. Herodias tells her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. She, like Herod, wanted John dead because he called out their sin. And she saw her chance here to get what she wanted, to force Herod's hand. This is a a wicked and manipulative woman, much like Jezebel in the Old Testament. Herod, we see again, did not want to execute John yet or in these circumstances, but again, he does it because of the fear of man. Fear of man kept him from executing John, and fear of man caused him to execute John. He had made an oath, and because of oaths and his guests, the text says, he had John beheaded. He didn't want to look bad or weak in front of others. Weak men make weak decisions to cover their weakness and look strong. And that's what Herod was doing. And sinful oaths should not be sinfully kept. We thought about that in the book of Judges. If you make an oath that's sinful, like Herod made, you should not sinfully carry out that oath. You should repent. No, young lady, I'm sorry. I'm not going to unjustly execute John. I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. I'm sorry I made that oath. I shouldn't have said that. Choose something else. That's what he should have done. But he sinfully kept his oath because he cared more about what his guests thought. And he wanted to look strong even in his weakness. And so he had John beheaded. Jesus is worthy to die for. We we should learn that from this text. Pastor Michael already spoke about in introducing that song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Jesus is worthy to die for. John died for telling the truth that Jesus said. You say, well, Jesus never said anything about John and Herodias. Beloved, if if you you get things right biblically, Jesus wrote Leviticus (laughs) 18.16. Was that the right? Yeah, Leviticus. People say that sometimes. Jesus never said anything about this. Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Jesus never said... Jesus, as the second person of the Godhead, inspired the whole Bible. (laughs) So yes, He did. (laughs) Jesus inspired Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. Jesus inspired Isaiah as the second person of the Godhead. When Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he was quoting himself. I think Schleidler said that. Some Dutch theologian, I can't pronounce his name. Jesus is quoting himself when he quotes the Old Testament. (laughs) John was being obedient to God's truth, to God's word. When he called Herod out about his sin, Jesus is worth dying for. And and of course, here we see the ultimate sacrifice of of giving your life. But but beloved, for us, we we ought to also remember Jesus is worth dying for daily. 
daily little deaths to self. Daily dying to what our, our flesh wants and what we, we want and, and, and doing what we know is right. I'm reading Elizabeth Elliot's biography by Ellen Vaughn and, and this is how she, she sort of gets at the heart of Elizabeth Elliot's life. Her story, Elizabeth Elliot's story, conveys all the discipline and patient suffering for which she was well known in the often repeated stories about the violent death of her first husband. But her most noble accomplishment was not weathering that unimaginable loss. It was practicing through both the high dramas and the low, dull days that constitute any human life, the daily self-death required for one's soul to flourish. It is this theme of death that gives the narrative arc of her life. This is not particularly cheerful, but, is, uh, it is, but if there is one empowering paradoxical element within Elizabeth Elliot that defined her core, it was a healthy willingness to die. Again and again, if God so willed, always believing in His promise that real, robust, exhilarating life comes out of every death. Willingness to die. I wonder if you ever pray that prayer. It's one of the prayers I often pray. Lord, help me to die. Help me die. And I'm not talking about physical death. I, I'm talking about dying. Dying to anger, dying to lust, dying to the fear of man, dying to lack of contentment, dying to whatever God says is contrary to His will. Lord, help me die. Amy Carmichael, one of Elizabeth Elliot's heroes, was once asked, what is it like to be a missionary? And she wrote back, it's a chance to die. It's a chance to die. And that's the, the title of Elizabeth Elliot's biography of Amy Carmichael, A Chance to Die. John died. He, he gave his life for the sake of God's truth. And we may be called to do that as well. And we're definitely called to die to self daily and live for Christ. Spurgeon said this about John's death. It was well for the Baptist to go to his reward, for his work was done. He was not left to lose his health and vigor or grieve in solitude. The man of God left his prison for paradise by one sudden stroke of the sword. It was a foul murder, but to John the Baptist, it was a happy release. He was no longer in the power of Herod or Herodias. He received his crown in heaven, though he had lost his head on earth. He received his crown in heaven, though he had lost his head on earth. Beloved, get that. Get, get what has just happened here. John the Baptist, though he was the greatest man born of women. Remember Jesus said that? This is John the Baptist, the greatest man born of women. This was a faithful man, a bold man, a God-fearing man, a godly man. The greatest man born of women was beheaded at a young age, probably about 30 years old. What, is, what, what, what does that mean? 
John was faithful. John was loved by God. God delighted in John and in his ministry. But he died young. What should that teach us? That we shouldn't try to interpret God's love toward us by our outward circumstances? How often do we do that? God must not love me because this happened. God must not be for me because this happened. This, this hard circumstance in life happened, so God must be against me. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of women, was beheaded at a young age. I was thinking about Eliza Fletcher concerning this. Did, did anyone hear about Eliza Fletcher this week? That young 34-year-old kindergarten teacher in Memphis, Tennessee who was out on a morning jog and, and some man who has a record of violent crime. I, I could go on about how angry it makes me that the mercy of the wicked is cruel. People letting people out of prison think they're being merciful and then this happens. And it's wicked and God hates it. But he kidnapped this woman and does who knows what with her and kills her. And she was a Christian. Went to a Presbyterian church in Memphis and I read about her funeral service and what the pastor said about her. And her husband now and children don't have a mother. And I'm thinking about that husband today in church. What, what, how is he dealing with this? What is he thinking? This would be a good word for him. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of women, was struck down at a young age. And we don't know why. We don't know why Eliza Fletcher was murdered in that way at such a young age. We don't know why. But we trust God. We trust God. We can't see the whole picture. We, we don't know all of His purposes. We don't know what He's doing. But we trust His character. We trust that He knows. We, 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 we trust Him. Uh, uh, that He is sovereign. That He is good. That He is righteous. I mean, Jesus said in Luke 21, 16-18 to His disciples, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for My name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. They might chop it off, but not a head of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. John's with Christ in paradise. John is with Christ in paradise. Eliza is with Christ in paradise. And we're called to trust God in horrific circumstances that we don't understand, that we can't uh, uh, fit together, that we can't figure out a purpose. We're to trust God that He knows what He's doing. William Cooper wrote the hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. 
His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Someday we'll know. Someday we'll know. And we, like Job, will put our hands on our mouth and say, yes, God, you are the man. You are God. You know best. You knew best. You did well. You are right. And I bow down and worship you, and I should have done it sooner. Beloved, do it now. Trust him. Pray that your pastor would trust him when he does not understand what God is doing. But we know that hard situations like beheadings do not separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 35 and 37 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword hack your head off? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally we see that John's disciples came to bury John's body. They loved their leader, John, they came to get his body. They, they buried this body that if they knew the teachings of Jesus, they would know he would rise again. And they bury his body and then look what they do. They go to Jesus. John's disciples went and told Jesus. They went to Jesus in their pain, in their loss, in their suffering, in their unbearable grief. They go to Jesus. What a great example for us in our grief, in our pain, in our loss. Go to Jesus. Jesus is their leader now. And that was the whole point of John's ministry, wasn't it? To point others to Jesus and to lead people to Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist spoke of Jesus. John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is a far greater prophet than John the Baptist. He's the God-man who died and then rose up from the dead. Jesus is a far greater king than Herod. Jesus was absolutely sexually pure. He perfectly obeyed God's law. He was sinless. He never had any personal sin to confront. And he always cared most about what God thought and not what man thought. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And again, beloved, the good news of the gospel is that if Herod would, and I have no evidence that he did, but if he would turn from his sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, Herod could be saved. The vilest of sinners who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Do you know Him? Trust Him. Jesus has the name that demands fame which we must die to proclaim. He so lived and so spoke that His name became known. 
Since then, his fame has continually grown, for he must be honored just as his father on the throne. He humbled himself to the point of death all alone. He absorbed God's wrath for sin to atone, yet he's alive forevermore from the grave he has flown. All over the world, his gospel will be sown, calling sinners to himself and making them his very own. He's the God-man with incomparable fame. He came to heal the lame and all those afflicted with shame. He's the line of God who's good but not tame. His followers must aim to proclaim the wonderful excellencies of His great matchless name. Holiness and righteousness are His demand. Life with Him is not bland, but abundantly grand. His love and beauty you can't withstand. Your life couldn't be better planned, so reach out by faith and take His hand. Fight for holiness and take your stand, striving to obey His every command so that one day you'll enter the promised land. About Him we must speak. He's utterly unique. Don't worry about your technique or your voice mild and weak, but only seek with a heart that's meek to tell of a future so bleak without the glorious salvation He purchased during Holy Week. When Jesus calls you, He calls you to death. But in the process, He'll take away your breath and ultimately give you a high better than meth. Some like John will die as a martyr. Life on earth couldn't be harder but God's truth over life, they do prefer. Threats of suffering and death will not deter, for Christ's love in their hearts will captivate and stir a great reward God will eternally confer. Others will die smaller deaths day by day, death to self and to all the good things He seems to delay. The idols of the heart we're called to slay. Christ must be first. It's the only way. So your number one lover don't betray, but cry, Christ is all, and His worth display. Don't sigh and ask Him why. Just plead and cry for Him to help you die. And fix your eye on His everlasting supply, full of love, joy, and mercy that'll never run dry. Him you'll never deny, but to His everlasting arms you'll fly, and with His infinite beauty He'll forever satisfy. What you so long for is only a whore. It's stealing your love and only wants more. It you must abhor and deplore. Against it make war, I implore, so that you might be set free to soar. Up from the floor and fly to explore the King's great beauty galore where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In light of the great mercy that we have in Jesus, May we be willing to follow Jesus no matter what as we daily seek to die to self and honor Christ, even if it means literally giving up our lives like it did for John the Baptist. Your life for Christ might leave you dead because of all He did and said. John the Baptist came and pled, Behold, the Lamb of God you'll wed. He takes away our sin, we've read. The bridegroom saves from hell and dread. John died for Christ and lost his head. For Christ is worthy. For Christ is worth this grim bloodshed. Now he's the famous one, widespread, who took God's wrath and died and bled, then rose alive to death behead. 
By faith alone, He saves the dead. To greatest victory, Jesus led. In Him, the dead will live instead. To praise our King, His fame we spread. Father, we thank You that in Christ Jesus, though we were dead in sins and trespasses, we will live instead. And Lord, we pray that we would live to praise our King and spread His fame. Father, we, we ask that we would take to heart all that You have spoken to us through the martyrdom of John the Baptist. We ask, O oh God, that we would be less and less like Herod, that we would die to the fear of man, that we would learn to fear You and You alone. Father, we ask that You would help us to trust You even in suffering and pain, that we would know You are good and righteous and sovereign and you, Your plans and will are best. Father, we ask that we would be like John's disciples and go to Jesus in our pain and loss and suffering. Father, we thank You that there is forgiveness for all of our failures in Christ Jesus. We thank You for Christ, your death and resurrection. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we pray for anyone here today that may not know Christ, that today would be the day that they're born again and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for us as your followers that we would follow you more faithfully, love you more deeply, and live boldly for Christ, warning people of sin and telling them about the great Savior. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.